I promise not to start every episode with Boulder Creek, but this one does too. Downtown Boulder's main library actually straddles the creek. A glass walkway inside carries you over the water, creating sort of a roof on top of an outside courtyard on the south side of the creek. For years, it's been a place where people set up tents and cots and boomboxes, sleeping there when they don't have anywhere else to curl up and shut their eyes. This summer, I noticed an older gentleman in a polo shirt and khaki shorts join the bunch. He was always sitting on the outskirts of the encampment, up against the basement wall of the library, and sitting not in a chair, but on the cushion built into his walker. On either side of him, he'd stacked up reusable grocery bags filled with clothes and linens and things, creating what looked like a makeshift stall. I'm, I'm Noah Saunders, S-A-U-N-D-E-R-S. I've lived in Boulder for 44 years, um, and I became, I became homeless most recently um, in the first week of July. And I've been living pretty much here underneath the shelter between, between the two branches of the library. Noah was evicted from his assisted living center over a dispute about smoking. He had nowhere else to go and no one else to call, so he ended up here, underneath the library. Last night they were blasting radio at 4 o'clock in the morning, and, and the, the music was not hardly any music, actually. It was just kind of rhythm, and, and I'm a musician. I, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a trained clarinetist. Um, and and I, I've worked with, in orchestras and so on, for, and also I'm a, I'm a trained vocalist. This isn't Noah's first time experiencing homelessness. The first time was a few years ago now, shortly after his wife Nancy passed away. Um, she passed away in 2014 of um, unexplained reasons, and so it was precipitous and unex unexpected. She was kind of on the mend, and it was really sad that that happened. Um, it sent me into shock so deep that I didn't realize I was in shock. And for a couple of years, I was, in I was making not s such insightful decisions as, as I used to, and as I'm able to do now. And I didn't realize it until I finally realized that what was going on. And, and, and that was kind of the precursor to my, to my questionable housing situation, to bring it back to why, mm -hmm. you're, why you and I are talking. Well, um, after that, I continued. Uh, well, I continued living in Longmont at the time, um, and I moved back to Boulder, and I moved to to rather expensive apartments on, on Violet on North Broadway. And see, that was a poor decision on my part, and um, that consumed my money way faster than I than I should have allowed. And from there, I packed up. And, um, and put most of my things into storage and carried only what I could um, and kind of became homeless in the middle of the winter. And, and my, my home was my, was my automobile. So, um, and, and, and that was difficult times, although I did have, I did have our cat Rosie and Rosie is, is a wonderful, wonderful cat. I ended up having to give her up for adoption through, through um, the Humane Society in Longmont. Mm -hmm. And I understand that she, she, she landed in a loving home in Loveland. And that, and that warms my heart and keeps me happy. Between then and now, Noah navigated a complicated housing system. And then most recently, um, I put my name in to Boulder Housing Partners for, um, for a drawing 
for the um, for the Manhattan pro um, for the Manhattan properties, and you know, a number of years ago, um, before 2014, um, I, I I was I had Section Eight, mm -hmm. and I was sta I was utilizing that Section Eight through Boulder Housing Partners. At the same time, I volunteered for um, for a resident um, for a, for a seat on the resident board, and and I. I attended the meetings and I participated intelligently. And it's my assessment of late that that they've become much more, much less responsive to what's going on. I, I asked for them to to tell me when they would be drawing names because I don't get my mail at any at, at any home. I get my mail down at the post office, and it would it cost me to to get to the post office and to, to check on my mail. They wouldn't tell me when they were drawing the names. He tried reaching out to people involved, leaving numerous messages. And I thought that that was really uncalled for. I mean, I, I, mean, I would have just liked some, some response. I mean, they, they are Boulder Housing Partners. Whatever the case, I, I've worked with supportive services agencies since I moved to Colorado. My first job was with Boulder County. They called it Department of Social Services at the time. I was assistant to the director. Decades after helping others, Noah is now the one asking for help. And I've been looking, I've been looking very enthusiastically and intelligently for housing. From having spent more than $200 posting um, a classified ad seeking housing to um, Craigslist on a daily basis. Also, the shelter that Noah had stayed at in the past closed this summer a month before he'd lost his housing, as it was consolidated into Boulder Shelter for the Homeless. Noah couldn't figure this out until the morning that I spoke with him, near the end of August, when he went to court to dispute the charges from the rehabilitation center. He lost his case, but two probation officers connected him with the shelter. He told me he's most excited about sleeping on a mattress again, and also taking a shower. Around the country, people face eviction for a number of reasons, but most of the time, it's for not paying rent. Financial insecurity is the number one precursor to homelessness, not only in Boulder, but also nationally. Landlords have the power to expel people from property that they own. And when the coronavirus pandemic hit this spring, all kinds of folks lost their jobs and were hit with unforeseen expenses. Financial insecurities that already exist for many in our economy grew even worse. I'm Emma Athena, and this is Unhoused, a podcast collaboration between Boulder Weekly and KGNU. In episode two, we'll examine ways to address homelessness by keeping people housed, as prevention is not only the most cost-effective way of solving homelessness, but also in the best interest of the community at large. Look, we, we live in a world where the majority of Americans have less than $1,000 in savings and are not prepared to weather a multi-month crisis. And this is a multi-month crisis. That's Zach Newman, a practicing lawyer and public policy lecturer at CU Denver's School of Public Affairs. Though Colorado's economy was strong at the beginning of 2020, he explains that the finances of individual residents didn't necessarily reflect it. You know, you don't have to to be an economist to know that, you know, a lot of people in the state don't have savings 
and when you take away their income um, and there are no benefits and their renters, their ability to stay housed evaporates really quickly. I think you know COVID is showing us how many people truly live paycheck to paycheck or who are economically on the margins every single month. People like Newman were quick to realize what the pandemic might do to renters in Colorado, which make up more than half of Boulder's population. In March, Newman took to social media with an offering to help folks navigate rent payments during the pandemic and answer urgent questions. I put a message up on Facebook. I was like, hey, you know, if you're having trouble paying your rent, et cetera, hit me up with a message. Um, I'm happy to help. Got off Facebook because, you know, it's a cesspool. Uh, got back on like 24 hours later and I had like uh, hundreds of messages. Uh, and I was like, holy shit, like, there's something here, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, used to do a lot of like data and economic analysis, called a former colleague named Sam Gilman. I was like, how big do we think this is going to be? We ran a bunch of numbers, built some economic models, and we are like, wow, this is going to be huge. In response, Newman founded the COVID-19 Eviction Defense Fund with a handful of other lawyers. And since March, they've helped more than 1,000 people across the state with legal information and representation. According to the Defense Fund, more than 400,000 Coloradans remain at risk of eviction. One report states this crisis will impact communities of color, undocumented residents, and low-income families the most. Newman says they've already seen how the pandemic-caused unemployment rates are disproportionately affecting more people who rent than people who own homes. In the spring, eviction moratoriums, or temporary mandates that prevent landlords from evicting tenants, were put into place because of the pandemic. And Newman was relieved. These measures, while not a perfect solution to keeping people housed, at least bought those on the brink of losing their homes some time. In Colorado, unemployment jumped from 2.5% in February to well over 10% in May. And it's hovered there ever since. Rental assistance quickly became the number one request from residents in Boulder County, and as uncertainty swirled around the country, the eviction moratorium was the only thing keeping many people housed. Which is why the date of August 11th was so important to Rui Arango this summer. August 11th was the day when the last of Colorado's initial emergency eviction prevention measures would expire. And to make matters worse, this expiration date coincided with the massive reduction in federal aid provided to people through the CARES Act. You probably remember at the end of July when the extra $600 a week that came in unemployment benefits stopped. This happened even though many people still needed help paying rent and their utilities and other household necessities like food and medicine. At his home in Boulder, a few weeks before August 11th, Rui Arango, who's a housing justice advocate here, leaned forward, kneading his knuckles, and told me what was at stake. Eviction, there was already an eviction epidemic before the COVID crisis hit, um, even here in our county. Uh, Here in Boulder County, uh, the number of evictions that have been filed increased by 27% in the past four years. Um, So that's a huge increase, even before COVID happened. Um, because of the complete lack of, uh, of moratorium on evictions in our state and more broadly in the country, rent relief, we are looking at a uh, eviction crisis the likes this country I don't think has ever has, has seen yet. Um, the 
COVID-19 eviction defense research project projected that up to 450,000 Coloradans would experience eviction at the tail end of this COVID crisis. Right now, that's August 11th, unless the governor extends eviction protections or, or lengthens the amount of time it takes for evictions to happen. Um, and that 450,000 Coloradans is 8% of the state. Uh, so it, it's a huge amount. A lot has happened since then. Thankfully, we haven't yet seen the eviction surge that many predicted. That's in large part thanks to a network of localized community resource teams, fundraising experts, and hardworking neighbors like Rui Arango himself that have dedicated themselves to keeping thousands of Boulder County residents from losing their homes. After a month without protection from evictions, another moratorium did eventually come down from the federal government in September. And in October, Colorado Governor Jared Polis re-upped his own. Both are now set to expire by the end of 2020. Day's Little Fox, who I met at an encampment downtown this summer, was a renter whose life was upended by the pandemic this spring. I, 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 was, I was getting tired of couch surfing, you know, and I'm sure my friends, a few of my friends were like, Ugh, you know, getting tired of it, you know, because they're struggling just as hard as I am, you know, and, you know, okay. like when I say I'm local, I'm, I'm really local, I'm a yeah. mountain kid. You know, so. <laughs> and so you said you're a sound engineer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, I went to Berkeley School of Music in Boston and got a degree in sound engineering and yeah, so I'm a sound guy. <laughs> wow. But so it sounds the pandemic has definitely affected work. God, it killed me. I mean, what venues are booking? You know, none of them. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what bars are booking bands? Nobody. Nobody's going to Mackey Studios or Enterprise or yeah, Enterprise Studio. None of them. The book sound time to record an album because Corona. You know, and so. Yeah. Yeah, it killed me. <laughs> and this is why I'm in a tent. Um, my landlord, yeah, what? No eviction notice? <laughs> Get the hell out, you know. Yeah, it didn't work. Not where I was at. I was living in Denver. And, I mean, I grew up here. And I showed back up here, you know. And then came home and they found my people. <laughs> in the absence of more federal or state protections and funding, much of what's been keeping people housed in Boulder has come from community resource organizations much like the Emergency Family Assistance Association, or what folks call EFA, and the Community Foundation Boulder County, two organizations already in touch with these vulnerable communities. And they were quickest to bring rental, utilities, and food assistance to thousands of people across Boulder County. EFA was founded 102 years ago, actually during the Spanish flu global pandemic of 1918. It was a similar scene back then, says Julie Van Domelen, EFA's executive director, with businesses and faith congregations shuttered. In its wake, it fell to women to build a community-centric safety net. Women's groups and churches got together and built a local safety net, and the safety net has continued for a century. So it is kind of in EFA's DNA that here's what we do. So when 3,800 phone messages came through its office in the first three months of the coronavirus pandemic, all people asking for help paying rent and utilities and finding food, EFA's case managers knew, for the most part, exactly what to do. Some people are like, how do we adapt our procedures to respond to COVID? What can we do to help? And they're like, "This this is what we do. 
Mm. You know, so that made it very simple to scale up. We're a family resource center. We focus on where, you know, our safety net services, our food bank, direct financial assistance, we call it, which is paying your rent, paying your electric bills, medical bills, transportation, financial assistance. We have, a, we have housing. So when you get to homelessness, we're the main provider of um, housing for families with kids that are homeless, which doesn't get a lot of attention in the press. Most of the attention and system work is on adult individuals that are chronically homeless. But there are hundreds of families with kids that go homeless every year. EFA's main focus has been rental assistance. Over the summer, 800 households in the county received EFA's help in forestalling eviction. 71% of those families were with kids, Van Dumlin says. Before COVID-19 hit, EFA would distribute an average of about $100,000 a month in financial assistance to families. But between April and June of this year, the organization dispersed about $850,000. And they weren't alone. The Community Foundation Boulder County was also quick to grapple with the pandemic's severe economic impact. Lisa Moreno, a senior program officer at the Community Foundation, told me it really hit home for her in the middle of March when Boulder County employees were furloughed. Because it was so many people and it uh, made clear how um, interdependent all the different facets of the economy are. Then what it really means for the services that people depend on and that this wasn't just going to be... this wasn't just going to be something we were going to bounce back from quickly, but this was going to be, this is going to be a big problem for a long time. It was then that the Community Foundation created the COVID-19 Response Fund and began administering grants to nonprofits helping with housing and food relief across the county. The first round of grants, which totaled about $650,000 between March and April, focused on aiding seniors, which public health officials predicted would be the hardest-hit population. Then they directed funds to family resource centers like EFA and other organizations around the county, including several food pantries. They also supported congregate living programs like homeless and domestic violence shelters. Then they did another round of grants focusing on the health, stability, and well-being of children in other marginalized communities. There, there was a lot of effective advocacy in the community about uh, addressing the needs of, uh, as recognizing people who were undocumented or mixed, mixed immigration status families as some of the most vulnerable in the community because of their lack of access to any of the federal relief that mm-hmm. was coming out. So we also... Um, recognize that was another reason why the family resource centers were important because anybody that needs services can get services at the family resource centers. There's no, there's no barrier. To provide these financial lifelines to the community, organizations like EFA and the Community Foundation immediately began fundraising. According to Moreno, about a third of the new money injected into the county in response to the pandemic, aside from state or federal money, came from the Community Foundation COVID-19 Response Fund. Most of EFA's money has come from private individual donations. Even with such community support, Rui Arengo says it'll be difficult for many to stay housed in Boulder County without extended eviction protections and or substantial financial aid provided by the state and federal government. Landlords simply have a lot more power than tenants do in these matters. 
His wife, Megan, explains how families, women, and people of color are disproportionately impacted by evictions. So there are also um, been some sort of anecdotal evidence about what happens to families that experience eviction. Um, children have to often leave the school that they were going to, that they lived close to before. And technically, um, by rights in the state of Colorado, children who are homeless have the right to stay in the school that they're enrolled in. But that doesn't mean that that is the ideal situation for the family. Also, imagine how that would impact um, transporting yourself to your job. Or um, maybe you live nearby someone, like we mentioned, a family member who helps you with childcare or things like that. You're suddenly torn away from the community that you have lived in, that you've developed support networks within. Um, so it's just incredibly disruptive, especially to children. And families with children are disproportionately impacted by eviction, and particularly single mothers and single mother mothers of color. It's also very common for um, people who have experienced domestic domestic violence to experience eviction as well. So it's just sort of laying trauma on trauma on trauma. Both Rui and Megan started their work on eviction prevention long before the pandemic hit. Well, we believe that eviction is is violence, both to individuals and to communities. Um, first and foremost, eviction causes homelessness directly. When you are evicted in your court, um, that judge and the sheriff's department, when they later carry out that, that writ of restitution, um, which is uh, the legal term for them coming to your house and throwing you on the lawn and throwing all your stuff on the lawn mm -hmm. and, and uh, restoring that property to the landlord, mm -hmm. um, you are made homeless. Mm -hmm. um, in addition, you know, oftentimes landlords are enabled to recoup any lost money. Um, if you don't have the lost money, now you're in debt. There, there's sort of like this cascade of, of violent effects for the individual and the community. Um, financial, emotional strain, homelessness that radiates out. Um, all of a sudden you have someone who's homeless who then maybe they have to live with a relative in a cramped and, and you know, uh, less than ideal situation. And when you look at these um, effects individually, they are they are awful. But when you look at them in term, in context of a community, it is absolutely um, dissolving the social and, and financial viability of a whole community, mm -hmm. these individual evictions. In 2019, they began organizing a citizens' initiative campaign, which is a way to get a measure placed on the ballot for the community to vote on during the November elections. Their measure proposed the city of Boulder provide free legal representation to individuals and families who are called to eviction court. The idea is to guarantee legal representation in civil cases, just like it's already guaranteed in criminal cases. Yeah, eviction court is a meat grinder. Um, it takes place at the Boulder County Court every Friday, and it lasts an hour. Um, and uh, we have seen uh, with our recorders um, anywhere between, you know, 10 and 80 eviction cases being heard in that hour. You can imagine how, how much time the judge has for each case. Um, that is also compounded by the fact that at least half of tenants don't show up to eviction court. Um, they are so confused by the legal process. They are in such a personal financial crisis and scared of the landlord that often when they get that first um, demand for rent form, uh, they may think that is the eviction itself and they have to leave at that moment. Mm -hmm. 
there's also an issue of accessibility, right? Like these court hearings are on a weekday morning and people with jobs or with children mm -hmm. um, or with accessibility issues, mm -hmm. uh, they may not be able to make it to their hearing and they don't, they may not know that it's as important as it is. Yeah. When, it, when a tenant does not show up, um, the judge rules in what's called a default. Um, and that means the landlord wins automatically. And that takes all of 30 seconds. So we have seen uh, landlord attorneys representing multiple landlords, evicting people from 15 properties, maybe. And it takes all of a couple of minutes. Um, so eviction court is certainly not uh, um, uh, built to favor the tenants. Mm -hmm. And it's also not a good place, even if you do show up as a tenant, to really work anything out um, with your landlord or the landlord's attorney, which is why um, no eviction without representation or newer does provide legal counsel at the start of that 17-day period, giving you all the time so that hopefully you never have to go to eviction court in the first place. Yeah. Um, but to, to your question on the for the research project, we realized that... Um, uh, there was no data on evictions here in city of Boulder or Boulder County, really no in-depth study that had ever been done that we could find. Mm -hmm. And so we decided that we would start recording that. Um, other, uh, other cities, other States, um, make it very easy to access this data in Colorado. The database has been privatized. It costs basically $10 per search. Uh, so that would have been, you know, over like $11,000 we would have to pay. So, we did have enough uh, volunteers that we could send people to court. We wound up recording 413 eviction cases. Our suspicions were confirmed. According to our data, only 2% of tenants here in Boulder County show up to court with an attorney, uh, compared with 88% of landlords who do. So there's a clear disparity of, of power. Without an attorney, uh, you don't know what your legal defenses are. You don't know what your legal rights are. Often you don't know that you're even supposed to show up to court at all. And the judges um, that we've observed, they'll sometimes try to sort of drop hints for tenants who come and try to represent themselves. But if you don't know the legal lingo, you kind of can't take advantage of that. You don't know how to file an answer. You don't even know what filing an answer is. Um, so, yeah, having an attorney is incredibly important. And there have been studies around the country from these other eviction defense programs that have found that outcomes are better when you have an attorney in eviction court mm -hmm. uh, financially, but also in terms of just not getting an eviction on your record, mm -hmm. uh, which is ruinous. If you have an eviction on your record, no landlord with you know a decent, safe, clean rental unit is going to want to rent to you. Their campaign called No Eviction Without Representation is actually building off a larger nationwide right-to-counsel movement that started in New York City a few years ago. Since then, the concept has expanded to major cities around the country, all working to find ways to stop evictions. In San Francisco, the uh, first year of their right-to-counsel program, from 2018 to 2019, evictions dropped by 10%. Um, in New York City, their legal counsel program caused a reduction of evictions of 27% uh, over four years. So we expect we're going to see similar numbers here in Boulder. Um, we are also working with city officials to expand the scope of the program to include things like rental assistance. And that will make Newer the most comprehensive and most aggressive anti-eviction program in the country, we think, and probably the best one. Uh, so we're going to see um, it harder for renting people, tenants, working class people here in Boulder 
to be forced out of their homes by landlords. There was um, a landlord we spoke with at one point about um, the eviction process, and she was telling us, you know, she really tries to avoid evicting her tenants, and um, she's only had to do it twice. And when she first went through the process, the first thing everyone told her was, oh, you have to have an attorney. You need to hire an attorney right away. It's crazy to go to eviction court without an attorney. And when she heard about Newer, the first thing she thought of was that experience. People telling her, you can't possibly navigate this process without legal assistance. And she thought about all the people who don't get that service, who don't get that right, and how demoralizing that is, how humiliating it is, how traumatic it is. This is going to correct a power imbalance for people that is, that's wretched and that leaves people homeless. No eviction without representation, their ballot measure did pass in the 2020 election with about 58% of Boulderites in favor. Time will tell how the new legislation will play out here locally and in the meantime, there have been some targeted efforts on behalf of the city and the county to keep people from eviction. Since the pandemic started, the city and county ramped up their mediation services, providing third-party help to landlords and tenants negotiating payment plans and trying to avoid evictions legal proceeding. Kristen Heiser is the deputy director of Boulder's Housing and Human Services, and she says their mediation services quickly bulked up their systems. Well, as we were looking towards the eviction moratorium expiring, um, our team worked very closely with the courts to make sure that if there is a situation where somebody is um, facing eviction and they're in, engaging with the courts, that mm-hmm. they are now required to be given information about our mediation services. And then we also have um, eviction court happens once a week, and we have actually our team in the courthouse, even during COVID, to, to offer mediation on the spot in person. So we've just been, through our community mediation services, we've just been very proactive of being available to help individuals kind of navigate what is a really stressful um, situation. At the courthouse, the mediation services could potentially resolve a possible eviction without even going into an official hearing, which could prevent an eviction from going on someone's record. But that only works if both the landlord and the tenant are present. A housing helpline was also established early on during the pandemic. The Regional Homelessness Reduction Agency set up a phone number both tenants and landlords could call for information about housing and financial help, plus the free mediation and various legal services. So while the pandemic has been largely devastating, there are tiny silver linings, enhanced communication being one of them. Still, as Lisa Moreno from the Community Foundation says, This thing is so big, it's unlike anything any of us, uh, you know, have seen in our lifetimes. And the vast majority of the people in the county are well off enough that they may not feel it. But for everybody else, this is, this is huge. There's not enough money to meet the need. So without robust federal or state support, the need for intense community collaboration is clear. Housing is a special nexus where economics, health, transportation, they all come into play. Zach Newman with the COVID-19 Eviction Defense Fund has represented many tenants in eviction cases, and he says the effects of eviction compound over time. And I think when you do these cases, 
what you see is that housing is, is fundamental. Once evicted, it's not uncommon for people to lose their jobs. If they can't get to work with clean clothes or with a full mental or physical acuity that may very well be depleted after a night's sleep outside or at the shelter. It's also common for kids to suffer without consistency, without enough food, without getting to school on time. It just puts people in this state of ongoing transients where they, they no longer even get to live, really. So um, that happening to anybody is terrible, but then you think about that happening to hundreds of thousands of people, and it's just, you know, it's talking about a massive human rights issue. And in Colorado, evictions stay on a person's record for seven years. In addition to the immediate problems an eviction can cause, having one on your record can lead to future housing discrimination. Eviction prevention, therefore, is the most effective way to keep people housed not only short-term, but also long-term. With unemployment still high and debt still accumulating, Newman says... There are two things here uh, that we need. Uh, one is time, the other is money. On the time front, this feels very clear. Colorado needs to reinstate the eviction moratorium. We should not be evicting people from their homes and making them homeless during a pandemic. Period, full stop. But then secondly, we need money. I mean, a, a moratorium prevents harm, but it doesn't address the underlying cause. Mm-hmm. And for, for the money piece of this, I mean, state programs have been fine, but we really need like broad-based federal relief in the form of rent relief, or extending enhanced July or providing like really substantial stimulus, like tenants need money in their pockets so they can pay their rent. Uh, and that's also great for landlords. So, I, you know, I think it's those two things. Moratorium buys people time. Obviously, federal rent relief pays the bills and lets everyone stay whole. And while an eviction moratorium would directly help tenants, it may not be the most holistic solution, as many, like Kristen Heiser with The City, points out. You know, it it is a challenging situation because the moratorium does protect um, residents, but at the same time, you know, property owners still have to make their mortgage payments. She says we need a financial support system that can keep landlords from foreclosure and potentially losing property, which would result in an eviction anyways. I would be all for an eviction moratorium, but there do have to be supports in place that support those property owners and subsidies in place to help them make their payments or that housing is going to be lost because it'll be potentially foreclosed on if they can't do it and then everybody loses. There was a ProPublica analysis of evictions before and during the pandemic, which was published in July, and it showed eviction moratoriums not only curb homelessness and mitigate community crises at large, They've also forced landlords to seek new solutions like accepting partial rent payments and connecting tenants with rental assistance programs in order to recoup some revenue, even if that means foregoing the right to evict. And still, moratoriums only address short-term issues. Even with eviction delays, most tenants will eventually be responsible for all or portions of missed rent payments. So without more federal or state financial assistance in the form of rent or mortgage relief or direct payments to individuals and or community resource centers, Zach Newman says, For a lot of people, it's just delaying the inevitable. As he looks ahead, he's not sure what will come after the new year, when the current federal and state moratoriums and extensions will lapse. There's still no plan for an additional CARES Act or a new financial aid package. 
Congress can get its act together and pass rent relief or some other kind of financial support for tenants. And or we also put in place an eviction moratorium. We can really avoid a lot of this harm. And we should be thinking of ways to do that. Meanwhile, for those who have lost their homes or are on the brink of it, it's best to reach out to local nonprofits like EFA and the Community Foundation or call Boulder's newly established housing helpline. Like Noah Sanders experienced himself a few years ago, the first step into homelessness after an eviction for many is moving into a vehicle. So where do you go from there? Solutions for sanctioned overnight parking lots. That's up next on Unhoused. This series was created to expand upon six written articles, which you can find at boulderweekly.com. The Unhoused podcast is a collaboration between Boulder Weekly and KGNU. You can subscribe to the series wherever you get your podcasts. The series editor is Angela K. Evans, and audio production for this episode was done by Maeve Conran with help from Connor Kelly, John Schauer, Evan Itzkowitz, Zach Sagars, Benny Tittlebaum, and Haley Jensen. I'm Emma Athena. Thanks for listening.